0: hello and welcome to we're only human no hello welcome to we're only human (laughs) that sounds very game showy hello welcome to we're only human i'm tim john every time i say this intro it just sounds fake to me it just sounds like a game show or a i don't know it just doesn't sound authentic my theory is the beginning of when you start speaking, the beginning of what you're speaking sounds less authentic than later on of what you're speaking. I This is just a theory. I have no scientific data to back this up. It could be completely incorrect. Today, we're going to chat with Stella. Stella Garber is someone who I've known for many years at this point. Um, we used to run a startup together, Um, We used to run an event series in Chicago together, actually two event series. Um, So we've crossed paths a ton in the time we've known each other. And Stella has always, in my mind, been someone I admire, someone who is very dedicated to those that she believes in and the work she believes in, and also to the causes she believes in. She wants to, in my opinion, make an impact on this world. So I'm really happy that she said yes to be here, and let's go ahead and do a quick sound check. Uh, What did you have for breakfast this morning?
1: I had peanut butter and jelly toast with a cappuccino.
0: Is peanut butter and jelly toast different than just straight up peanut butter and jelly?
1: Yeah, like an open face. Oh! uh, uh, I guess it's very similar to a sandwich, but...
0: So you have like the peanut butter on one, the jelly on the other, and you you one at a no, time? No,
1: you do two, like I get these little wheat rounds and then you put peanut butter and jelly on each one. So it's oh, like cool. toast, but peanut butter and jelly.
0: Today I'm joined by Stella Garber. She's a daughter, sister, a wife, a mother, an angel investor and advisor to uh, several, several startup companies. And I just realized today's International Women's Day, isn't it?
1: It is. And International Women's Day is not a big deal sort of in the West, but I am Eastern European and it's like if you took Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and combine them, that's how big of a deal uh, International Women's Day is to people of Eastern European background. So it's I'm really happy big- that
0: we're, we're speaking on this day because I was just going to say like you are someone to me all the time I've known you, which is quite a while now. You are someone who is so dedicated to basically what International Women's Day stands for. And so this is really weird fate. Um, But I was going to say, you're someone who's dedicated to empowering women. I feel like you're someone who, um, from when I've known you, loves learning, believes in, I've always appreciated this, like open, direct communication. And you're someone, and this goes with the International Women's Day, and I think about it, you're someone that doesn't give up. And like, I love that. So, like, this is in my mind, like, Stella Garber. who who Stella Gerber? That's what I would say. If someone asked you the question, who are you, what would you say?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I feel like people struggle with writing their own bios. I know I do. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on the context, but I guess I'm all the things that you said. I, um, I think I'm, I try to, keep it real, be a well-rounded human professionally. I, um, you know, I love startups and it's a theme in my career that, uh, I've done a bunch of startups. We obviously did one together and which we can talk about or not. And, uh, in the last couple of years or no more than that. In the last five years, I've, um, been also investing actively in startups and advising and working with some venture firms to also help startups. So I guess my, my professional identity is sort of wrapped up in, um, entrepreneurship and, um, innovation and marketing. And, um, yeah, that's, I guess that's professionally. And then I have this whole other side, obviously where I have two kids and I've got, uh, you know, um, what else I I love to read and travel and, uh, people often are texting me for restaurant recommendations because that's (laughs) the thing that I love. And, um, yeah, I guess there's and I'm also, I mean, I think it's, uh, prescient now. Like I uh, am an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. So I've been feeling a lot of uh, a lot of that recently with all the current events. So that's a big part of my identity um, as well.
0: I'm thinking, because as long as I've known you, and I knew you before you had children, like startups and sort of you've always been this helpful connector. And I see that now in the work you do in a different capacity. Has being a, becoming a parent and double parent now <laughs> changed your perspective on any of that like has that felt different being a parent or is it just felt the same like you want to help people even more
1: I mean I think the the big thing about being a parent for me overall is that it has made me a much more patient and empathetic human. I think I was empathetic before, but now I think I'm much more, and I was definitely not patient before. I'm a very impatient person. But when you have, you know, a toddler, um, that's one of the big things that you have to just ingrain. And I feel like that's why parents make really great managers, because you're able to keep perspective, you're able to sort of understand the hierarchy of what's important, what needs to get done right away versus what's, you know, can be put on the back burner. So I definitely think that that, uh, those are the big overarching things. And I think that's sort of helpful in in the startup uh, landscape, because with startups, there's all of these things that you could be working on, but really there should only be one or two things that you're focused on. And it's really hard to see the forest from the trees when you're in the thick of it. And so I think also now that I've done it a few times, um, I can sort of be that helpful voice for, um, of reason, um, in the early stage. And also I think with the connecting people, I just get so much joy from mutually beneficial connections. Um, I don't know if it's gotten more or less since I was a parent, but I do really enjoy meeting people, meeting new people. And I think since becoming a parent, often the conversations extend beyond, uh, extend beyond the professional capacity. And I'm always curious to learn about people's family lives and um, you know, how they work and what their interests are maybe a little bit more than before.
0: I think that's, when I became a parent, that was the biggest thing. Is all of a sudden you have this natural like something to talk about when you meet another parent because it's just all this built-in like subject matter when you have kids with someone else who has kids.
1: Yeah, I think it just adds dimensionality. And yeah. it. The more that I, the more that I am like, uh, you know, progress in my career. I think in the very early days, you're very focused on, um, you know, on, on achievement. Or I was at least. And there's this wonderful article. um, I think it's in Harvard Business Review, but it's basically about uh, how to achieve a well-rounded, happy life. And a big part of it is that there are these four dimensions of your life that you need to have something in. One is professional success or meaning. Another one is like family and or connections and community. Um, and one is like extracurricular or something that's you're passionate about that's like outside of work. And then there's a fourth one that I always forget. But I remember when I read that article, I was thinking to myself that some of the most successful people I know have that dimensionality. Like they are, you know, they're very successful at work, but they're also a parent and they also, you know, they, um, uh, have achieved some success playing an instrument or, you know, running marathons or what it, whatever it is. And, uh, it just encourages you to have more of the perspective on, on life and like the different Um, you know, the different dimensions, the different layers that a person can have.
0: Do you have a definition of success like that you as part of your identity want to shoot for? I think about that a lot. Like my definition of success, I feel like evolves over time. And I wonder, is it the same for you? Like it's not necessarily always the same. It's a moving target.
1: A little bit. I, um, I have, my undergraduate degree was in psychology, and so I feel like I've been reading a lot of the research on uh, happiness, like, for a long time, and once you're, and also about biases, and one of the biggest things about biases is that once, the way to get rid of it is to acknowledge that it exists, first of all, that's, like, the first step, and I think with happiness and success, it's a similar thing where if you recognize that, there is that hedonistic treadmill or that the goalposts are always moving. If you can recognize that that's happening, that can be your first step in saying like, wait a second, <laughs> you know, three years ago, I would have been so happy. What has changed with, um, with my perspective? So I think about that a lot. But for me, I think success means living um, on your own terms and feeling a sense of fulfillment in the work that you do so it can be different for, you know. I think in, for everyone, it's a little bit different. For me, a lot of it has to do with freedom, and I've known. And I think that's probably why I've been so interested in startups and innovation. Is that you can sort of design your own life or design, um, design things like you know. I've always been a huge advocate of remote work, and. As recently as, uh, you know, the as recently as like the winter of 2020, right before all the pandemic crap happened, um, or the pandemic, not just crap, but the pandemic, I was like traveling around and giving talks about how the future was remote work. And then all of a sudden, everyone was living that and in a horrible way, which, you know, not not how I define remote work, but still, it was like this eye-opening thing where people could see that you didn't need to be chained to an office in order to get work done. And I was like, duh, I've been saying this for a long time. <laughs> like, come on, for knowledge workers, at least, if you're sitting in front of a computer all day, where does it matter where that computer is?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know you've been a, a proponent of that for a long time. And Uh, The pandemic introduced us, many of us, to it. But I will say my own perspective on that did change. Like the pandemic part was terrible, but then recently switching to a, a completely remote, like actual remote position at a company and sort of entering that new position with the mentality of I'm no longer working from home during COVID. I'm now working from home professionally. I started to see the benefits. Like the negatives started to get pushed down a little bit. I still yearn for human connection, but I figured out ways to do that. And I started to see kind of what Stella was saying all along. was like, there are a lot of, if you're fortunate enough to have this opportunity, there are a lot of benefits to the situation.
1: Well, I think that remote work, outside of a pandemic, obviously, when you have child care and you're not worried about going places and getting sick. So I'm just going to caveat that when I talk sure. about remote work. It's in the context of a non-pandemic. Um, you know, I think that it forces you to have a lot more um, direction and uh, what's the right word? Like it forces you to have a lot more intention. It makes you really intentional about how you – Um, fulfill these needs that you have. So the human connection is a great example. Like, I've never really thought that I like it was nice to have friends at work, but I never expected to go to work and like make friends and hang out with people. I was like, you go to work and you work, and then you have friends that fulfill a different need outside of work. So my friends have no idea what I do like it's kind of hilarious. (laughs) Like I will get texts that are like founders asking me for advice. And then again, like a friend asking me about a great, you know, Chinese restaurant on the North shore. Like they literally have no idea what I do. And I love that because that makes my friends and my social connections, I I sort of seek out the different types of people that I want to um, connect with versus the people that the company has decided should be a social circle for me. So over the years, I've had the um, the benefit of cultivating a really great network of um, professional friends, a lot of women going through uh, like a similar career uh, trajectory. And I don't know, I just feel like it's so much better. It's also so much more diverse because – again, I'm not depending on a company to, uh, to fulfill that like social need for me. Um, and also I I just find that, especially when you're a parent with young kids, all of these like happy hours and dinners and things that you're supposed to go to, um, I find that they detract from your happiness and, and your sort of life, um, because it takes you away from your family. And for me being being, uh, you know, the family part for me was always my number one priority. So the absence of all of these other obligations um, was great for me. And I think that those other obligations, the social connections that you make with coworkers, that can all be cultivated, but it's not as frequent as uh, weekly happy hours in person. Like, you know, we implemented at at Trello the last, um, where I last worked, like I helped develop this really thriving remote culture and we would have these offsites where you would meet all the people and you would hang out and, you know, you would make those strong connections, but it was just like a few times a year and not, you didn't have the pressure of having to like devote your life to, to a company outside of working hours. So I'm, I think when I talk about freedom and that being like a, a core value for me, that's the type of sort of context that I'm thinking about.
0: You mentioned Trello. You left Trello last year after a very long time. I mean, you helped sort of build up the marketing function there, and I don't know if it was on LinkedIn, but you wrote something about how you took a leap into the unknown, and I was curious what what was the unknown there.
1: Well, what I was seeing, you know, I was at Trello from the beginning of Trello as a company, so I joined, you know, as a first marketer, the first like joining the executive team, building it out um, after Trello had raised its Series A. Um, And I stayed through Atlassian's acquisition of Trello and then another four years uh, after that. And and it was a wonderful experience. But what I was seeing is that, um, and in the tech world, obviously, like staying that long at a company, it was something like seven and a half years. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very, um, uh, it's, it's rare. (laughs) I think, I think you've been at your company for a similar amount of time, right?
0: I just left that for eight years. Yeah. Similar timeline to you.
1: Yeah. Well, so it was interesting. Like I was seeing all of these people who are just jumping into the next job and not taking a break. And, you know, a lot of those people had really, um, a tough time after, uh, after Trello or Atlassian, because we had a very strong culture there, a lot of great personal connections, but also because they didn't take a step back. I or the way that I interpreted it was that they didn't really take a step back and think about what was important, and maybe analyze things from a different perspective. And once you're in a company for so long, you sort of have tunnel vision, and there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of like assumptions about how things are based on your lived experience. So for me, I was like, you know what? I think I just need to step away. I'm going to plan for it, obviously financially. And um, I'm going to just explore what else is out there. I'm going to jump into things that are interesting to me. I'm going to read books I'm going to finally learn about crypto, (laughs) you know, like it was like all of these things that I never had time to do. Um, I created this opportunity to do it and not feel the pressure of going to the next, the treadmill of, of, you know, jobs. So that was really hard. I mean, I I really feel like everyone around me was like, oh, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? What are you doing next? And I was like, well, I definitely, I'm definitely, you know, angel investing because I love that. Um, I, I, I explored advising, I'm like an advisor to a few venture firms, which doesn't take up a ton of time, but is a lot of fun for me. And, you know, I'm exploring the idea of, of launching another company. So it's been nice to have the, um, the headspace to, um, to be creative and to not have the pressure to do the next thing.
0: Did it feel jarring at first? Um, I mean, being at Trello for that long, and I imagine being quite busy, I mean, as a startup building that to what it became, uh, and then even planning for your departure and planning for giving yourself some headspace. I imagine those first like couple of weeks must have just felt, if not jarring, just kind of uncomfortable.
1: Well, I was preparing for it. I mean, you and I both know that I have a very strong type A personality, but I was on um, maternity leave and I sort of knew that my time in Atlassian was coming to an end. So I was starting to think then like what I wanted to do. And I interviewed a little bit and I I, like ramped up my angel investing and I took on one advisory um, position with a startup. And I was like, so when I was leaving, I had a pretty good idea of what it would look like. I will say though, like I sort of jam packed it all in so that once I left Atlassian, like the very next week I was in back to back meetings (laughs) 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 and it took, it took a few months for me to say, wait a second, like I'm in charge of my schedule so I can create these you know, afternoons where I can go for a walk and think and read and listen to podcasts. Like, I don't have to be in meetings all the time. And I think that was more of a, a turning point for me was recognizing that I could really design this transitional period to be whatever I wanted. And obviously, like, if I didn't have kids, I would have just traveled, you know, and like, done some whatever people do when they don't have the you know, those kinds of responsibilities. But, um, but I try to make the most of it, even though, um, you know, even though I obviously have uh, uh, responsibilities at home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just a few.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Were there any big, like, I find anytime I've uh, intentionally slowed down in my life, I have found there's always sort of those moments of discovery about myself that I probably never would have come to had I not chosen to slow down. And you mentioned a little bit there about, you know, realizing you now have control over your schedule that others can't necessarily control it. Were there any other of those like aha moments that maybe you wouldn't have come to otherwise? Um,
1: you know, I was doing a lot uh, and I'm a big, I, I definitely recommend this for people who are like, you know, going through a transition period and dealing with a lot of the ambiguity, there's a lot of things that you can do to help you figure out um, what's going to make you happy moving forward. Like I read this book called Designing Your Life, which was about um, applying design thinking to – or design systems thinking to um, your life life design. And I thought that was a really interesting framework. There are also – and I think within that book, they also talked about doing an energy audit, which was like going through a week and seeing the things that give you energy and the things that um, take energy away. And so then you can sort of think about, you know, uh, how you can lean into the things that um, do, you know, the things that that give you energy and, and design your work day around that. So I think there were a lot of, there was a lot of introspection and you know, interviewing in, for different roles also helped me because I didn't realize it, but there was a I had like a lot of visceral response. Like, you know, I was interviewing for this uh, role that, you know, on paper would have been amazing, but I was having a really hard time falling asleep at night and I was having all this anxiety. And I was like, oh my God, if I do this, I have to sit in zoom meetings for eight hours a day. And like, I don't just, I don't want to do that again. And it, it took me a while to like actually listen <laughs> to myself because my mind was like, this is the logical next step in your career as like, you know, an executive. And then my body was like, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> Why are you listening to me? So I, I think that I, I sort of, that was maybe like a moment where I was like, oh, wait, I'm having a visceral response that I should probably pay attention to. And that's going to like, you know, that's like my gut speaking to me about, um, what I should do. And obviously like, you know, for me, I was very lucky. I, I have a lot of different things that I can be doing given what I've done so far in my career. And also like focusing on networking and, and, um, creating really strong relationships with lots of different people, including my former coworkers. We're all still, I mean, we text each other all the time. We're all very, very close. We travel to see each other and, um, it's a beautiful, it's a very beautiful, um, it's a very beautiful like relationship. So um I guess that would be some advice is to if if you're in an if you're in a transitional period to make sure that you're listening to your physical cues and listening to yourself about what you want to do.
0: It blows my mind how the body can react to like the the mental thoughts. I it was never Kind of like you, like I noticed this in recent years when I was getting like anxiety or other uh, physical ramifications from like mental and changes in life. And I never, it just, it blew my mind that like, oh my God, like my body is physically reacting to what's happening in my life. And like you said, you almost can't ignore it, which is, I think the point that your body's trying to make. But it's kind of like fascinating that that is how we're built.
1: And it's like you don't want to get to a point where you can't ignore it because then you're going to have a lot more problems. <laughs>
0: yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> I think it was somewhere you wrote that your motto has always been to do things that scare you and, and make you grow every day. And yeah. I love that because I think we share that. Like it's so, most people don't want to wander into the uncomfortable for obvious reasons, but I think there's the risk reward ratio is just so great. Like there's so much reward to get from wandering into those, those areas. What, what are some ways that you do things that scare you and make you grow every day?
1: Um, well, I definitely pay attention to the things that I do find scary. Like for me, for example, I found, uh, once I left Trello, once, once, I mentioned like I wanted to learn about crypto, but crypto is very, um, there's like, it can feel very difficult to learn about because it's very technical and there's not a lot of great information. I think this has changed, but there's not like a lot of great information to get started. And I was like, okay, I'm scared. Let's go. Let's do this. Like you should be able to figure this out at this point. Um, or, um, and it was great because I learned about it and I found, I even made like a little community around learning crypto. And it turned out that a lot of people who were um, feeling in a similar way that we could like learn together. And that was awesome. So um, I don't know. I think I just, I just follow my curiosity and try to um, and try to like lean into it and 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 uh, there's also like recognizing that, like I think about when I um, went to business school and I went to the University of Chicago for business school, and it is known for being really challenging from like a math, from a quantitative standpoint. And I am not the strongest quantitatively. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do that because it's terrifying. And then, and I did it and I survived and I did an okay job. And it's like, a nice reminder of like, well, that was a time where I was terrified, but it turned out okay.
0: (laughs) Those are great reminders. I feel like reminding us that we're, we're capable.
1: Yeah. We're capable of more than we, um, of more than we think. And, you know, I am coming off of a a Peloton workout and I feel like (laughs) the Peloton workouts are great reminders of just those everyday, like motivational things that, at, for me, I find very useful to uh, just to hear that like on a daily basis that, you know, you are capable, that you're pushing yourself, that, you know, the hardest part is showing up. And these are all like platitudes, but they're true. I was gonna <laughs> like, say platitudes,
0: <laughs> like stereotypes, like come from something real. They come from
1: something. Yeah, but it's true. I, I do definitely think that that for a lot of things, it's like I feel like it's an interesting thing for me. Anytime I have a transition period, I like to jump into the scariest thing. So like the first, you know, with my first startup, when it was acquired, I did a 12-week coding camp. And I am not, I mean, you and I both know I should not be writing code or anywhere near <laughs> code. But I, you know, it was a really challenging, scary thing to do. And I did it. So,
0: Wait, this was during few Fighters?
1: Yeah, after few Fighters, I did. I didn't did, know you did a coding um, camp yes, you did. You just forgot. It's okay. <laughs> that was why I could... Um, I think that the my takeaway from that was that uh, I really love working with developers and engineers because they're very logical. And I also learned, which helped me a lot in my career, how to talk to them and how to you know, how they think and the types of things that would um, foster good relationships with engineers. And I think a lot of marketers um, and salespeople, they sort of struggle with that. So it definitely served me in that capacity.
0: Yeah, you definitely have that ability. Like, even if you don't consider yourself very technical, you have that bridge connection of how to communicate technically, I think, which, as you just said, complements your skill set very well. And it's probably a large reason why you're able to be successful in the area you are is because that's just not a natural skill set to have and maybe it comes from you just constantly diving into the scary and growing in that way
1: yeah i think there's also a lot of benefit in in seeing people as humans and which i think is sort of the point of your podcast but i always i, I always try to get to know people on an individual basis I don't love doing, like, group networking things because that's not how you learn about – that's not how you develop, like, a one-on-one relationship with someone. So I will go out of my way to schedule coffees with someone where I get to know them and I try to figure out how I can help them. And that's how you develop those, like, long-lasting relationships throughout life versus attending a bunch of different networking events where you have sort of shallow uh, transactional conversations with a lot of different people.
0: Oh yes I'm a huge I mean obviously the podcast is definitely that inspiration but I'm a huge fan of that like the- I mean <laughs> as platitudinal, platitudinal as it might be cliche like at the end of the day like we're all just humans on this planet like I always think about when the aliens finally come, <laughs> and they come down and view us all. Like, what are they going to think? You know, like it's a little bit silly when you think about it. Cause in the grand scale of things, we are a lot of crazy ass creatures running around here doing really weird shit that, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we're all just these people. You, <laughs> I want to step back for a moment. The Peloton, I'm curious. Um, Cause as we all know, Peloton swept the nation, the world uh, during the pandemic. I'm curious, did you, I'm assuming you're talking about the biking one. I don't know if you have the treadmill one, but did you, the biking?
1: I have the, uh, I do the biking one and I also do all the other stuff. Like they have yoga and meditation and strength. And like strength conditioning.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do any biking a lot before you got into the Peloton world?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was a big, um, I really liked um, uh, spinning Um, back in the day. I don't think it's called spinning anymore, but you would go to the classes even before soul cycle and what i i actually bought my peloton maybe 9 months or so before the pandemic started it was well before it became uh, a big thing and i i just i i like tried it and i was like this is the future because it fit a lot of the things that were very important to me, like the freedom to do things on your own time, but also to do things well and to not have maybe a worse experience. Because the thing that was always frustrating to me about taking the spinning classes was that you would have to drive there and it was, you know, the class, there was a schedule and you could only take one class and you'd have to plan your whole day around that. But with Peloton, it's like you can just jump in and, and it's so flexible. And um, and especially with all the different workouts that they have now, I'm, I've always been like a very big fan. And I it's funny because my husband is a, a fitness buff and he was one of those people who was always like, oh, you know, I'm never going to not go to the gym. I love the community and the being around other people. And now he will not step foot inside a gym, I don't think ever again. Um, so it was a uh, I feel like in my life, maybe working in technology, I sometimes will be able to see the trends a little earlier, like the remote work trend and with Peloton, how it sort of, it was like democratizing fitness. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, people have a lot of opinions about Peloton, but at the end of the day, it lets people push themselves and have access to fitness in a very easy and accessible way that they wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: It's I, I don't have a Peloton, but I have I like the app because I have my bike and then I just got a trainer for my bike and I call it my DIY Peloton. Mm-hmm. But you can get the app still and you can still participate in all the classes, either live or on demand. And yeah. I was sort of not like like your husband, not a gym person, but I was more of like, I'm an outdoor biking person. I thought, why would I ever want to sit inside and bike with someone on the TV? And then I did it because pandemic and also winter in Chicago. And I was completely hooked on this idea of. For me, it's the music. Like I love picking out the class that has the soundtrack I'm in the mood for. But those instructors and they, you know, depending how you feel that morning, like that really does make a difference. Like when they are kind of building you up and sort of like, you know, just sort of all there for you and, and really pumping you up for the day. That has honestly made a difference for me. Some days I'm like this soundtrack combined with this person smiling and, and energetic. It's. I would have been worse off had I not started my day this way. Um, and so that's, for me, the big part. But I didn't even think about what you said about democratizing fitness. Like, that concept opens up a whole new world for some people that maybe yeah, couldn't make it to the gym or that doesn't fit their lifestyle.
1: But also, like, if you think about the quality of instruction that you get, considering the price point, it's also very... Um, I mean, you get the most elite, the, the best trainers in the world, basically, And it's what like the cheapest one is like 15 bucks a month or something like that. That's, and before, you know, you would have to be attending a gym that was like over a hundred bucks a month. And obviously there's, you know, there's pros and cons to each thing, but I'm i I'm a big fan of Peloton. And I think within the context of being a working mom, it, uh, it creates a lot of opportunities for you to get fitness in, and, and it's so important for for mental health to be doing all to have all these different opportunities to um, to participate when otherwise it can feel very difficult to find the time um, to do so between work and and kids.
0: Yeah, I wonder what that'll look like ten years from now. Like ten years ago, I feel like Peloton wasn't even close to being a thing, and I wonder, I wonder what that'll look like. I'm so actually speaking of 10 years from now 10 years ago we met i think in 2010 so 12 years ago a long time ago <laughs> feels like a couple lifetimes ago I'm curious though like Stella of 2010 Stella of 2022 like is this and, and i don't mean like net, maybe professionally but like this who you are today is is this who you saw yourself being today 12 years ago or did you even think about who you might be today
1: oh yeah definitely i mean being a very Ambitious type A person, I um, I definitely thought I had everything laid out, and ironically, am exactly who I thought I was going to be. I think that I got there not, um, maybe not in exactly the way, and you know, careers are not linear; they can be very you know up and down. So, but at the end of the day, I feel. Uh, if I had if I could give myself the advice of my today self and my 2010 self, I would just say like keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna make it. you're gonna live your dreams. <laughs> so just keep being a person who lives by their values and who seeks integrity in their um, in their interactions and also who always strives for excellence. I think that's always those are always been things that really, define who i am and um and you know it worked out.
0: striving for excellence. What are th- what are those other values you said live by your values?
1: Yeah, i mean striving for excellence um uh having integrity be at the core of everything that you do. One thing that i see with a lot of people is that they sort of chase after whatever is the hot new flavor especially in tech. And they are blinded by the fact that maybe the people aren't uh, operating from a place of integrity, like the the leaders. They're maybe just chasing an opportunity, or they don't share the same values that that they uh, share. And I feel like um, for me, whenever I choose uh, an opportunity to work with, it comes uh, an opportunity to pursue. It comes down to the types of people that I'll be working with and making sure that our values are aligned. So. I'll give an example. Um, you know, when I joined Trello, I, uh, I knew I was going to be having a family or I was hoping to be having a family soon. And the CEO, Michael, um, he told me that his goal was to have uh, an executive team that was half female and uh, a company that was diverse and focused on, uh, and focused on building, you know, a best in class product. And also, um, I saw that more than I think everyone on the executive team had kids. And so it was going to be this very, uh, family friendly or not. I shouldn't say family friendly, but a company that valued that had the same values sort of that I had. So I don't, I would not have joined uh, Trello if I did not feel that the values were aligned. And I think, I think that's the, the same thing. And maybe that's why, I don't know. I just always seek to, to work with people who have integrity and who are, um, on the same, on the same wavelength when it comes to the values. (laughs) Like the, the values being, being a good person, doing what's right. Like, uh, having a, as much of a meritocratic or performance-based environment where people are striving for excellence. Um, and also having a lot of giving people the freedom to, we said this a lot at Trello was to hire smart people and, and get shit done
0: pretty straightforward (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i think there's something to that though i mean like we want to especially with the you know you mentioned like being parents or family friendly family friendly is what you said but i get that like because i noticed that when i was looking for a new role after leaving a company after eight years like that was top of mind was like especially with this newfound reality that covid birth for a lot of you know knowledge worker positions is like how can I find myself a position that is truly not if not even just family friendly, but work life, like true work life balance. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter's got a field trip coming up in a couple months and I want to, I might be speaking at a conference, but if I'm not, I want to make sure, you know, I've never gone on a field trip with her since like preschool and it'd be fun to go to the nature center. And like, that is something that I know I wouldn't have a trouble doing with the people I found to work with to your point of like finding people with values. And so i the work-life balance for me is the is the big one, and it sounds like that's kind of what you're getting at too.
1: Yeah, I think family friendly isn't the right uh, isn't the right phrasing for it. I think it's more about like the uh, sort of the the trust in people to do work. A great and word. To, it's like that you're building this culture where there's a lot of um, it's sort of like. Uh, merit-based, performance-based, and you trust the people. Because for example, you know, on my team at Trello, it was very much like that. I was very where people felt empowered. Um, so, you know, I I think I'm well, whatever. There weren't a lot of parents on my team, but I said to people, like, you know, at, at whatever time, like I'm done. I'm closing my laptop. If you want to slack me, you can slack me. I'm not going to respond until the next day. And you know, unless obviously there's exceptions to that, like, you know, there's campaigns and launches and whatever, but for the most part, day to day, that's the thing. And you know what? I had a woman on my team who published a book while she was, um, like in her off time. And, and I had another person who, um, played in a band, uh, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends. And it was really passionate about that. And those the people who have those sorts of hobbies and, and interests, they only enhance, your work. So while maybe I choose to, you know, have my kids and focus on my family and hopefully have some hobbies outside of that, just because I don't think that there should be a burden placed on the people who aren't choosing to, um, to go that route, but they have interests and hobbies and things outside of work too. And those are just as important for enhancing them and inspiring them and, and, you know, up-leveling how they show up to work too.
0: Yes. Well-rounded people. Speaking of hobbies, yeah. are there any hobbies that you've recently picked up? Um,
1: I what hobbies have I recently picked up? I'm not a big hobby person. I love reading and I would love to get back into traveling once that becomes more of a thing. My family we I think the big thing that we just did was we spent the winter in Miami. And that took a lot of planning and uh, logistics with the two kids and the school and everything. So that was our big, uh, our big thing was skipping the Chicago winter.
0: <laughs> That's a great hobby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. I wish we could do it again. I don't know if we'll be able to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did that work with? Because your your oldest is probably in what kindergarten? Did they just do like remote or something?
1: No, he, I actually found he's in pre-K and I found, okay. um, uh, a Montessori, uh, preschool that would take him for the three months. And then my daughter, um, we just had a nanny who took care of her. So it was really great because my husband and I both work remotely and, um, we were able to spend a lot of time outdoors and it was great. I mean, we all got COVID and it was, that was horrible, but, um, I feel like regardless of where you were, it was in, in when the Omicron was happening. You were likely to have COVID.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you've um, checked that box now that you've like gotten the virus? That's been all around.
1: Yeah. I mean.
0: I mean, like we obviously you're Florida. all healthy, recovered, but
1: yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I mean, we were all low risk, so I wasn't. Yeah. Um, I was worried about it, but I try to be very statistically oriented and looking at the data. It, you know, we were all low risk, so um, I don't think that you know, I I think there's like trade-offs, right? Like if you're optimizing for not having COVID at all, that means you're not going places or hanging out with people or, you know, and with kids, I feel like that's, uh, that can be a negative trade-off for their mental health and and development. So everyone makes their own choices and those were the choices that we made.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And it really does with the kids. Like my kids did the, excuse me, my kids did the remote year, like so many kids did. And that was so tough to watch, uh, more so for my daughter. She was in kindergarten at the time, and Ugh. that's the one year. I feel like of, of all the years of like early education, kindergarten is like just social. And so yeah. she had two hours a day on Zoom, and that was it. And then when they got, went back the following year um, in person, uh, which was, what, this past year, it was just so noticeable how happier they were. Like, it was just yeah. such a – so I know what you mean. Like, with the kids, with the – it's it's a tough – tough balance of, you know, you want to keep them healthy, of course, but there's also the mental health.
1: Yeah. And I follow a lot of more statistically oriented people who are like reporting back on the data around kids. And so it made me feel okay in the decisions that we made.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to hear you're all healthy and recovered and
1: yeah, <laughs> still got
0: to enjoy the winter and uh, a nice climate. Yeah. What inspired that? Was that... um other, other than like we just want to get out of sort of the house and out of the Chicago winter, or was it like we we haven't traveled in two years? We want to kind of get out. Like, was there any inspiration?
1: Well, we um we my my uh, family has always ha- not always, but for the last like. 15, 18 years, they've had um, a vacation spot in Miami. And so we usually go down for a couple of weeks and then we'll come back. And this was the first year that my husband was also able to work remotely. So um, <clears throat> it was like kind of a no brainer for me, if we could figure out how to do it logistically. Cause I mean, I love Chicago. I love living here, but man, the winter uh, for me, it's less a about the cold and more about the darkness and I sort of get that, that seasonal affectivity, uh, you know, the, the, and so for me it was more about being able to be in the sunshine and, and not feel depressed.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm the same way. Like it's less about it's, I'm an outdoors person. So like not being able to comfortably be outdoors for arguably four months is Yeah.
1: It's really hard, but I will say I love Chicago, and we were very, um, we were very happy to uh, come back home after being in Miami for three months.
0: Oh yeah, It probably felt good to be in your own bed and just all uh, mm-hmm. that—the visceral reactions that come from what we consider our homes. Mm-hmm. Did the kids enjoy it? Like, did they? Do you think it was a, a fun experience for them?
1: Oh my gosh! I, <laughs> I mean, we did it basically for the kids because. Number my my son learned how to swim. He had not uh, learned how to swim, and in Miami he was in the pool every day, and we had him taking swim classes. And my daughter just uh, she actually started to walk in uh, when we were there. So I feel like um, if she had been here, just they were just outside basically yeah, all the time, yeah. and that was that was really great. I think that's the ideal is you if you can do the snowbird lifestyle where. Because the problem with, you know, Miami is that the summer is like really hot. Well, there's lots of cons, but we were, they're going to have, you know, basically the summer experience or the ideal weather experience, both in Florida in the winter. And then this year they'll, they're, you know, hopefully they'll get the Chicago summer experience soon. So it's going to be great.
0: (laughs) I am all for that snowbird. Like this year I've made it intentional to, uh, the weekends I don't have my kids, like try and get out of town, like traveling all to all climates and um, safely, of course. But, uh, I, I, I'm starting to understand why people go away for the Chicago winter and then come back in the spring and the summer. And like you said, your kids are going to love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I don't think we'll, we'll be able to do it again, but It was good while it lasted. Yeah.
0: Well, and him learning to swim, that's a huge milestone.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's really amazing how quickly when, and and I noticed that from before when we would go down, I noticed how young the kids are um, and they're swimming so well. And it's because to them, it's just second nature. They're just like in every place has a pool and the kids are in the pool all the time. And no that's obviously not the case here, so I was like, I think it would be a great life skill for my kid to be able to just pick up swimming and have it be second nature.
0: yeah, I, I agree with that I, I every time I like you fly into like Phoenix or, or even Florida and as you're coming in, you just you look down in all the residential areas, everyone's got an outdoor pool and you're like, hmm that is a totally different lifestyle. yeah one I can get behind. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it would be scary to have your own pool, especially with the small kids, but it's nice to have like a community pool nearby.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's like, isn't there, there's in some towns, I feel like in some of the suburbs of Chicago, at least they, if you have an in-ground pool, you have to like have a fence or something. There's some conjunction where, which I think is to prevent like, I don't know, Drying. strangers from wandering in and falling in your pool or something.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean that would make a lot of sense I don't know why you would have a pool in Chicago but okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> or at least an outdoor one yeah
1: <laughs> yeah
0: so uh what's what's next for like for Stella like are you because I'm, I'm just thinking earlier you said uh, what you would tell your younger self is like keep going keep doing it you've done it you know you've you've made it um and in my mind I thought oh are you like are you done Is this Stella or what's like, do you have like plans for the next phase of, of who you are?
1: Um, well, I have. I don't know about plans, but I have a lot of ideas and I'm sort of just going to go with it. Like, um, you know, I'm thinking through what starting another company would look like. And if it works out, I would love for that to happen again. Um, and if not, then there are going to be lots of other opportunities and, and things that pop up because I, I really leaning into the idea of when you develop a a reputation and you've done the work, um, develop a reputation of, of doing good work, there are, and being a good human, (laughs) there are always going to be, um, opportunities, um, presented to you. Um, so there's probably a lot of like privilege saying that sort of stuff. But I, I definitely think that if you help, if you go through life and you're trying to help empower other people, um, you know, people are always trying to help other good people. So um, I'm not super worried about, and, and maybe this is now six months after leaving Trello and being in the ambigu and like embracing the ambiguity, but I'm not worried about having a super set plan on what comes next
0: and I think we're all dealt, the cards were dealt. There's a lot of chance in life, but even if there is privilege involved, I mean, you are someone who's, you know, using whatever privilege and opportunity you have to try and connect and give back. And I mean, yeah. that's the best you could do. And I, I think that's what you should do. And so, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> I, I'm glad we were able to make this happen. And I'm so happy yeah. it happened on international, international women's day. Like that just, uh, Immediately always makes you think of you in all the best ways, because I do think you <laughs> represent what that holiday stands for. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.